Spooky season? More like stock season. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Equity. My name is Alex Wilhelm. This is the show where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I am joined, as always, by my two favorite people in the entire world. We have Danny Crichton here. Danny, how are you doing? Overwhelmed by dozens and dozens of stock earnings that all decided that Thursday at 4 p.m. was precisely the time to talk about their numbers. Yeah, I had to work late yesterday. And by the time I finished working, I literally thought the entire world was one big Excel spreadsheet. It was very, very sad. We also have Natasha Mascarenas here. Natasha, you were part of the big earnings group yesterday. How are you feeling today? I feel like I always black out during breaking news sections. And so same old, same old for me. That's what the Grey Goose will do to you. The Grey Goose will often help, actually. I wish I could afford Grey Goose. People, I'm drinking White Claw. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be a startup backable drinking <laughs> beverage that is appropriate to TechCrunch's audience. But so many, so many earnings this week, Alex. What are we, what are we, what are we even doing on this show? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do little bits about all the big tech companies, the big five companies that we all know quite a lot about, just to set the stage to provide a little context for everything else. Then we're going to talk about some smaller tech companies and what we can learn from what they both reported about Q3 and said about Q4. And then we're going to take all of that and relate it back to startups and say, what can we say uh, startups can take away from this earnings cycle thus far, keeping kind of core to our main topic, which of course is the young upstart companies. But starting with the big tech working our way down, Danny, let's talk about Amazon. Amazon has to be like the best company to own shares in in a pandemic. Amazon reported just incredible growth, net income $6.3 billion in the third quarter. That is more than 3x the net earnings from last quarter last year. And what's crazy is the company actually didn't even run its normal Prime Day sale, which normally comes in Q3, which they sort of do prior to the holiday season. So even without the sale, it, it was not included. They did the Prime Day sale, what, or it was like two days of Prime Day a week or two ago. That'll be reported next quarter along with holiday earnings. Just an incredible, incredible numbers. The other news we heard was that Amazon is going to basically estimates that it's about $4 billion to cover its COVID-19 costs. And that includes everything from warehouses to sick leave to deliveries and everything else. So billions of expenses, but clearly a huge migration of people from retail brick and mortar stores online, doubling down on the bottom line for Amazon. Now, I want to move us right along to Apple. Natasha, you were on the Apple overview for us today. So what do you have? This quarter, historically for Apple, usually has a iPhone bump of sales. This year, it's iPhone sales as part of the earnings reports because it released them a little bit later. We have to take out that potential bump from its metrics. That said, Apple's Q4 had $64.7 billion in revenue. And I think the more interesting stat is that the Mac had its biggest quarter ever, Woo! tallying $9 billion in sales. I know that's what gets us excited on this lovely rainy morning. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think that says something also about obviously work from home. The other thing to look out for on Apple is that they launched Apple One, I believe, the day we're recording this, which is Friday. And it's going to be their attempt to try and drive more subscription revenue, take away some of those users from Spotify right over to Apple Music. Of course, continuing the great Apple's services push as they try to diversify away from just selling you a phone every couple of years. Pretty good strat. We'll see how that works out. Next up was Alphabet, guys. Of course, Google's parent company. I kind of think this quarter was a recovery for Alphabet. They put up an enormous amount of revenue, just over $46 billion, way ahead of expectations, which were about 43. And if that doesn't seem like that big of a difference, it's a big difference, just to give some context about how much of a beat that was. Question is, is why? Why did Alphabet do so well? Well, two things stood out to me. One, of course, is the progress of cloud kind of in general. 
Google Cloud, which of course is Google's public cloud project and also G Suite and other things, did 3.44 billion in revenue, about 130 million ahead of expectations. And then finally, YouTube, which suffered during the pandemic and the decline in advertising, roared back to form in Q3, putting up $5 billion in revenue during the quarter, about $500 million ahead of expectations. So thank you for watching all those really annoying progressive insurance ads while trying to watch music videos. You guys did a great job. And over with that, uh, over to Facebook, Danny. Uh, Facebook had a, a mixed quarter, so uh, revenues were really strong, $21.5 billion against an expectation of just under $20 billion. So beat expectations, advertising revenues have recovered quite a bit for the quarter. But what, what's nuts, though, is that Facebook reported that its daily and monthly active users in the U.S. and Canada, which is obviously one of its major markets, actually declined this quarter. It actually has less users than ever, which, which if you think about the, the political context going on here, is, is sort of nuts. On top of that, Facebook's headcount costs rose dramatically by about 32%, which is actually a, a bit more than its 22% revenue growth. So we're seeing like a higher expenses, good revenues, but not growing hugely and declining users. So it's a sort of a mixed bag at Facebook. Still a good quarter, but uh, you don't want to see negative operating leverage from a company that's this big. It feels kind of strange. Moving on to Microsoft, my old beat. I covered Microsoft for years back in the day. The important thing here is that they beat expectations in the short term. And that was on the back of Azure growing 48% year over year. Azure is Microsoft's AWS that also competes with Google's cloud. It's their pass IaaS thing. And it's kind of what everyone thinks about as like the key driver for the future of the company. The other side of the Microsoft coin is that their Q4 guidance, their calendar Q4 guidance wasn't that great. And so shares actually went down. So a strong quarter from them but uh, not a great outlook. And we're going to get back to the outlook point and about what we're going to see in the future in just a minute. But Danny's going to walk us through a couple of takeaways from all of that stuff we just told you. I think the first takeaway, Alex, because you love this, is, is actually around platform as a service cloud provider. So AWS reported 29% growth, Google Cloud 45% growth. That also includes software. Azure was 48%. That's just the cloud product of Azure. It does include Microsoft Dynamics and other um, SaaS products. And so it was actually a very strong quarter on cloud. AWS is obviously way ahead in terms of revenues compared to the other leaders in this space. So they have a little bit less flexibility in terms of growth. So 29% uh, a little bit tighter than Google and, and Microsoft. But obviously with the, the growth of online services in the last two or three quarters, as more and more work has gone online, AWS has already sort of dominated the Amazon story for the last couple of years. But you know, Azure is increasingly the dominant story for Microsoft. And Google Cloud, which, you know, for years was like a, a almost an also ran within the company, is increasingly the story that the company likes to present to the public for its financials. And so I, I, th I just think it's really interesting to see the big tech companies really are the big cloud companies. It's a fascinating story. The only thing I'll throw out there, Denny, is that we talk a lot about the digital transformations acceleration and how COVID has pushed people more onto digital platforms. And, you know, I, I got to say, seeing AWS put up 29% growth inclusive of those two tailwinds feels a little light to me. It's not exactly a number that I expected to see. I, I would have, if I was an investor and a betting man, I would have bet you a dollar it was going to outperform expectations, not come in roughly flat. So that's kind of something to keep in mind. But not everything is flat. Some things are going up, including pricing for some major consumer brands. And Natasha, can you give us just the, the quick rundown on Spotify and Netflix and why everyone's getting uh, a price increase in their stocking this year? Surprisingly, Spotify had a great quarter. It announced that it crossed 320 million active monthly users, which was kind of 29% of growth. It also had a huge growth in paid users. While it's the largest music streaming service out there, the CEO announced that it will be raising prices in some capacity slash will further expand some parts of it. So we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but it will definitely maybe be part of its push for enhanced content. 
which brings me to Netflix, which did not have a great quarter and will also be breaking its prices up. And I think like my takeaway in this is that the content is so commoditized at this point that they need to in some way make up for the fact that anyone can access a lot of what they have to offer. And so I'm excited to see. I mean, I'm not excited for the prices to go up, but I think that this is like kind of their hacky way of trying to make up for their content being maybe not as pricey before. I think one of my big questions is they aren't monopolies. I mean, obviously you can move off of Netflix. There's alternatives to Spotify, but they are the dominant brands in their spaces. And so one of the questions to me was, you know, are they so popular and have such brand equity that they essentially can raise prices? You know, the, the elasticity of demand there is so flexible that you can actually just raise prices and no one's actually going to churn. Because I took that away that everyone here is like, hey, you know, everyone's using Spotify every day. Maybe the hours of streaming are up because people are at home. They're watching more Netflix. They're watching more Spotify. And they're just like, we can, we can do it. We can actually charge more and no one's actually going to leave. What's interesting is that Spotify's actual earnings results in Q3 weren't spectacular. They're a little bit under expectations, but its, it's user growth seemed pretty good. Netflix, on the other hand, had, had actually better than expected Q3 financial performance, but weaker than expected user growth. And they're both going to raise prices. So someone's wrong because they both can't be right at the same time. <laughs> I, I don't know who it is, but I'm fascinated by this story. It's one of the most interesting narratives. If they can raise prices, it kind of reprices, I think, consumer services broadly by moving up kind of the, the baseline for what things cost. Everything wasn't going to be 10 bucks a month forever. Anyways, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens. But everyone is streaming and Netflixing on desktop computers and they are flying off the shelves, Danny. Who would have thought, I, you know, we, we used to talk about the death of the desktop and apparently desktop sales are just zooming up. Yeah, I was really impressed by a couple of numbers that we saw. One was the Mac revenue figure from Apple. As we said, $9 billion, up over $7.93 billion last year. Just a really, really great figure. And then also Windows non-pro OEM. And if you're not, not a Microsoft watcher, what the fuck does that mean? Well, <laughs> Windows OEM means the sales of Windows to original equipment manufacturers or OEMs, i.e. people who make computers. Non-pro means consumer. So what does this mean? It means that Windows revenue from Microsoft that they sold to regular folks was up 31% year over year for the same reason that Natasha mentioned, i.e. everyone's working from home and needed new devices. So we're seeing a, an interesting renaissance in the desktop computing world, which is a really strange COVID phenomena and another reason why 2020 is just nuts. But moving to our last big trend, advertising. Advertising is up. I mean, you mentioned with YouTube, obviously up 500 million against analyst expectations. We saw similar patterns at Facebook, which also had massive growth and also beat analyst expectations. But the question is, is like, will this be sustained? So as an example for this year, Center for Responsive Politics a few weeks ago estimated that there will be approximately $11 billion spent on political advertising in just the United States for the election, with the bulk of that uh, roughly slightly less than a majority just for the presidential election itself. Both candidates will spend about two, two and a half billion dollars to run for office. Much of that is now online compared to previous elections. And so, you know, there's this huge, like, just shot in the arm of political spend on these platforms. I, I think the big question, you know, watching as, as Twitter, we're going to talk about this in a second, you know, just got demolished in the markets today. Is this sustainable going forward? We, we saw a lot of folks from the retail space kind of get back into the advertising markets in Q3. We expect more in Q4 as people try to make their numbers for 2020 with the holiday season. But I think there's a huge open question in 2021 of what advertising is going to do. And I think, interestingly, we didn't see any of the drawback that advertisers had on Facebook for you know the, the anti-Facebook campaigns. We're going to pull out of Twitter, pull out of, I think, even Verizon pulled out of Facebook advertising. And we didn't see it impact its numbers too much. I don't know if this is the quarter where it would show up, but I was a little surprised that that wasn't really even mentioned across any of the earnings. 
that we saw. I don't think it worked. And then look, Verizon, of course, joined the embargo because, um, you know, you shouldn't advertise on Facebook because our parent company wants you to advertise with us. <laughs> Verizon Media Group, here for all your advertising needs. <laughs> all right, look, now I, I want to summarize really briefly before we talk about some smaller companies. The market response to all the earnings above was somewhat negative, except for Alphabet. Alphabet rose six, seven, eight percent after its earnings report. Apple fell, Amazon fell, Facebook fell, Microsoft fell, all for different reasons. But it goes to show that the sentiment around this particular set of earnings was not as positive as we saw in the preceding quarter. Optimism is not quite as high as it was. And that brings us, of course, Natasha, to what happened to Twitter. Twitter is very much struggling right now in the public markets. I think its stock was down. I don't know, Danny, you saw the last. It was down 17, 18% overnight. Which is wild. This is overnight Thursday to Friday. 17.8% as of right now. Oof. <laughs> Sorry, I did not mean to laugh there. But so, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I think it's so its revenue rose 14% according to its report. But the metric that it failed to impress on was user growth. This was shocking. I think that the average U.S monetizable daily active user was 36 million in the second quarter, same number for the third quarter. So super flat and only up 6 million from the same time last year. And so my takeaway on that is even though it's doing better on ad revenue, even though it's growing slowly but surely, um, the fact that its overall user base is not is not a shot of, of optimism that advertisers will take as like, let's spend more on Twitter. They Twitter needs to do something else. And the fact that the election is about to end. I'm not really optimistic on what's ahead. Well, we talked on Equity recently that Snap is the little engine that could. We don't talk enough about Snap, and it's actually doing super well in advertising. It's growing quite a bit, but it's sort of like this, this stealth social network at this point. It's not dominating the headlines like TikTok. Uh, but Twitter is like the opposite story, in my view. You know, Twitter gets so much oxygen. It, it, you know, Jack Dorsey is in front of Congress reporting on, you know, Evan Spiegel never gets invited to the club, so to speak. So maybe he <laughs> loves the stealth uh, model. But like Twitter's story is the complete antithesis of, of Snap today. It can't find growth. It can't find new advertising revenue. It just seems to be a, a pile of goo. Pile of goo, sure. But a pile of goo that I'm still heavily addicted to. So bring on that goo. Look, Twitter, <laughs> I mean, we're on Twitter all the time, guys. No, I mean, I, mean, I agree. I, I, can't, I can't mock what I'm currently in love with, I think is, is fair to say. Okay, so that is a lot of the big companies and some of the social stuff out there. I want to turn the conversation now towards higher growth, smaller tech public companies that are especially in the SaaS and cloud space, because there's something interesting going on that I want to highlight before we talk about startup valuations and what this could all mean for the younger companies that TC focuses on. So here's what's going on. If you look at companies that have reported earnings thus far, so Twilio, ServiceNow, 8x8, Dynatrace, Fastly, et cetera, they all kind of beat Q3 expectations. And what that means is they did pretty well in Q3 compared to what analysts had put in front of them, which helps kind of solidify their valuations they've earned and puts a generally good vibe on about them. What the problem is, is that if you look into their Q4 expectations compared to what analysts expected, it's much more uneven. Some companies are projecting less revenue growth than analysts and kind of the Wall Street group had expected. Some aren't projecting at all. And so what we're seeing right now is a little bit of chop in the Q4 numbers. And this follows the big tech companies not wowing Wall Street either. So big tech struggling a little bit with Wall Street, smaller tech companies struggling a little bit with Wall Street. And I think this is enough to maybe change the narrative slash sentiment around tech and the valuation expansion we've seen among tech companies. And Danny, I, we have a chart in the notes here kind of showing some of this. Can you walk us through what the chart says? Alex is obsessed with the Bessemer Cloud Index. Woo! He does not actually get paid to always mention it. 
but he does mention it more than he would if he actually got paid to mention it. Fact. But, you know, one of the interesting <laughs> things is if you look at the last six months, it's been incredible. We've seen an expansion of multiples. Cloud and SaaS has done super, super well. So if you look at this index, it's gone up roughly 25, I want to say percent, but I'm looking at a graph without a y-axis. So I'm just trying to literally visualize it. But what's nuts is starting in, in mid-October, the multiples have actually started to compress. The numbers are going down, the index is declining. And I, I think there's just a general sentiment that the cloud story that we've seen the last six to nine months, which has been extraordinarily positive. I mean, I, honestly, maybe the most positive economic story of the year is maybe a little overheated. A little bit overheated. And keep in mind, as the stock value, the valuation of these companies goes down and they report revenue growth, their multiples are compressing. So that's going to bring down you know, the price of SaaS and cloud revenue, which brings us to startups. Because you know, if public tech companies are doing very, very well, it casts a positive glow on startups. And startups can argue for better and higher valuations because exit returns are actually expected to be higher. Because if they go public or if they get sold, they will get to ape or kind of like take those public comps onto their own shoulders in a positive sense. But if the public markets struggle and valuations go down and multiples compress, that also trickles down. And one thing that I have heard is that this is now happening to earlier and earlier stage startups all the way down to series B. And so the optimism that was pushing up a lot of valuations could now be coming down. So we may see less notion style, 50 million, $2 billion valuation rounds, and maybe some more price arguing between VCs and founders and maybe less preemption. That's my read, Danny. What do you think? I agree. I mean, you would have heard of that on our yesterday's episode of, of Equity, in which we discussed how the valuations are coming down to the Series B. Oh, is that, that, is that you said that? That that was the source uh, of your information was this episode. <laughs> you see, it has been a long that's week. Loyalty, if you ask me. <laughs> that, that's that's Alex post twenty earnings announcements. <laughs> but no, I mean the valuations getting sensitive. Here's the problem for startups in the SaaS space: revenues are actually quite low for most of these companies, right? We're talking about hundreds of K at maybe at the A, sometimes even the B, slow millions to tens of millions in the B, C, and D, and E. And so the, the valuations of these companies are highly affected by multiples, right? If they go from a 50, 60X multiple to a 40X multiple, that's a massive haircut. And unfortunately, those multiples are so driven by sentiment today in the markets that like that multiple could literally go from 50, 60 to 40 in a week. It could go that way in a day and it may never reverse course, which means that all the companies that were valued at their previous round at 50 to 60 X may not get an uptick on the next round. And that's just something to, I mean, it's never to say that, you know, you should lower your valuation in a round, but it's, it's a tricky, turbulent world when the, the value of your company is, it, it just can be shattered in a matter of hours and it's completely beyond your control as a founder. So Natasha, I'm curious, you talk to the early stage a lot. You talk to the, the seed stage folks and whatnot. Has there been any change in, in kind of the sentiment among VCs that you're talking to you about startups or are they still as, as hot as they were a couple of months ago? You know, surprisingly, they won't say that the future is going to be super hot. They're advising their portfolio companies to keep being conservative and to keep their eyes open and do not get lost in the overall narrative of the rebound. The easy way out right now is like potential civil unrest after the election, holiday season. I don't think anything crazy is going to happen in the next couple of months, Alex, as you mentioned. And I think that investors, while they won't say that we're going to stop investing, um, I think we might see a similar dip that we saw in March and April, and it won't it won't be for six months, but we might see a similar one to two month drop. I think that's right. And just to kind of like wrap us up here before we go on too long about uh, my favorite topic, I don't want to bore everybody, but the markets are also off on Friday. It's about 10 a.m. here on the East Coast and the Nasdaq's off percent and a half after a pretty rough week. It, it's notable. 
things do feel a little bit different. And I'm not just saying that because it's actually snowing where I live now for the first time all year and I'm pissed about it. It could be a change in the wind. Now, naturally, because it's tech and it's the stock market in two weeks, it could all be different. But it's worth at least noting how this week feels and what it could mean moving forward. But with that, we are back Monday morning as a show. We really appreciate you sticking with us and hanging out. If you haven't voted, you should probably do that. Voting is an important part of the Democratic franchise. So take advantage of it. From America to everyone else around the world, be glad you're not us. All right. We'll see you on Monday. Bye.